We'll turn it over to uh, Greg Veach for the message. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Let's clear things up. Your name does not have to be Greg to participate when Pastor Nathan's not here. It just happens to be a coincidence. But every once in a while, first of all, my name is Greg. Let me introduce myself for those of you who may not know me. I have been an elder here, and at our church, elders have three-year terms, and then you have to stay off for a year. So I am actually currently in what I guess is a timeout. So my term expired last year, so I'm timed out. Uh, but we'll see what, what this year brings as far as that goes. Every once in a while, Nathan will ask if, if uh, one of us will help him out, and he's having some well-deserved time with his family. So... Here I am today with a message that I am calling, Do Your Job. All right. Now, I hesitate to call it that. To give a little bit of background here, uh, I'm a football fan, and in particular, I'm a New York Jets fan. And, yeah, <laughs> yes, well, it only gets worse from there when you're a Jets fan. So the concept of Do Your Job, I get right? Like, we all have jobs, and we have to do our jobs, and I was a policeman for many years, so I understand, do your job. But when you get beat by the New England Patriots every single game for 15 years, and their whole concept, like their whole, their whole uh, philosophy is do your job, you start to get annoyed when you hear people say, do your job, because they were so successful at doing their job, right? Every time you ask them, this is what we do at the New England Patriots. We do our job, and they're so successful, and they beat the New York Jets every for 15 years in a row, and we haven't been to the playoffs in 19 years and running, because, because I'm not bitter or angry at all about the fact that the Jets can't get their act together. Because, you see, the Jets come up with their own sort of philosophy. They decide, we're going to say, all gas, no brakes. Yeah, and then drive your team right into an oak tree. It's, it's being a Jets fan. So that, that phrase, you know, honestly, I didn't care for it for, for years and years and years. Like, I get the concept. I don't care for the phrase. And then one day I'm sitting in my usual spot over here, and um, I don't know if any of you all have the same sort of experience occasionally when you come to church. I wasn't exactly locked in. I kind of had something else on my mind. I'm sure I was trying to think of something else, and because Greg and Greg are the only people that get to come up here, one day Greg is standing up here, and I think he's giving a message or a face to Ray. I don't remember which, but I, my mind is kind of not yet set or locked into the message and all of a sudden, Greg says, I have to remember that he is God and I am not. And for some reason, I thought what that meant was, God has a job to do and I have a job to do. God does his job, I do my job. So once I heard Greg say that, I perked up and I listened to the rest of it. I don't actually know the rest of the message, Greg, I'm sorry, I re but I remember that part. Because ever since then, it's stuck with me that God has a job and I have a job. I can't do God's job. We see throughout the Bible people doing their job, 
or not doing their job. And we can pull the lessons out of that. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. This concept of doing our job. Our job is to obey. When we get a word from God, we are supposed to obey that word. And we can see in the Bible sometimes people don't always do it. Let's take Moses, for example. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses is supposed to speak to a rock to get water out of it. See, it's towards the end of the 40 days in the wilderness, and there's no water, and the people are starting to grumble, and they're angry at Moses and Aaron, and God says, speak to this rock, and out will come water. Moses decides there's a better way. I'm going to hit it with my staff. He does. Water comes out. Everything works out. But because of that, Moses can't go into the promised land. Now, it seems to me like all the other good stuff Moses did and all the other times he followed him, like, oh, there's one little mistake. He doesn't do his job, and now he's got to have this punishment, so to speak. Until you realize it's God's job to decide who goes to the promised land or not. It's Moses' job to speak to the rock and not hit it with a staff. We see it with Jonah. Jonah gets a word, hey, go to Nineveh and tell these people who are awful that judgment's coming and blah, blah, blah. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. I have a better way of doing it, right? Jonah says, all gas, no brakes, and does about as well as the Jets do with his plan to not do what God wants. But he gets a second chance, and he does what God decides, and he, reluctantly he delivers this message, and Nineveh is spared. You see, it's God's job to decide whether or not the people of Nineveh are spared. It's Jonah's job to deliver the message. It's not up to Jonah to decide whether or not the people deserve to be spared or saved or not. His job is to do what God tells him to. God gave Moses and Jonah a job. They have to do their job. God determines whether or not you go to the promised land, or the Ninevites are saved. Our job is to pray. In the Old Testament, we see Daniel. He's in captivity, and prayer to his God is illegal. And he does it anyway, because that's his job. Now, he ends up in a lion's den because of it, but that's Daniel's job, to pray regardless of his circumstances. And then in the New Testament, of course, we hear directly from Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, his disciples want to know, how are we supposed to pray? And Jesus says in verse 2, when you pray, say to your Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We, we know the Lord's Prayer. At the very start of that, Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray. He says, when you pray. Our job is to pray. Jesus is our example. He's often found praying alone. He's praying so intently in the garden that great drops of blood are falling from him. 
That's our example. We're supposed to pray even when it's hard. We're supposed to pray when it's easy, and we're supposed to pray when it's hard, like Daniel. Pray always is our job. It's easy for us to pray for our kids. It's easy to pray for the innocent. It's easy to pray for single mothers. It's easy to pray for soldiers and civilians in war-torn countries. It's easy for us to pray when we're under times of great stress. But it's not easy when things are hard, when things are going well for us, right? We don't remember to pray when things are going so good and we're doing this all on our own power, right? We're being real successful and 2024 is going to be a great year for me. I'll just forget to pray because of how awesome I am. It's hard to pray for criminals and prisoners who are in jail because they deserve it. It's hard to pray for neighbors and coworkers who just annoy us all the time. As the kids say, they are literally the worst. It's tough to pray for someone who's literally the worst. But our job is to pray, and it's God's job to fulfill those prayers or not according to his will. We pray. God fulfills those prayers if it's in his will. We can't change anybody's heart no matter how hard we pray for them. God's job is to do that. Our job is to pray for them. Our job is to be ready. Our job is to keep doing our job until our time comes. We need to keep loving and keep praying and keep worshiping, keep being kind, keep being compassionate, even when we don't see a benefit from it. That's our job. We can't be discouraged because we don't think we're doing enough. We haven't evangelized enough people. We haven't invited enough people to church. We can't be discouraged because that's not our job. Our job is to be ready for God to use us when and how he decides he's going to use us. I know some of you are teachers, and teachers, I think, go through this quite a bit. Years and years and years they pour into their students, and they may or may not see any change at all. And sometimes we have to maybe consider that maybe the only reason that one student is in your class was for one day, one time, to see that somebody cares about them. That might be the only reason that kid is in that class all year long. And you as the teacher, you spend all that time with lesson plans and pouring into your kids and this job, and man, the, the tests come and blah, blah, blah. And really, the real reason they're there is just because they need somebody who cares about them. We see an example in the New Testament of a guy named Ananias. Not Ananias, the guy that gets struck down because he hides his money from God, that's, that's not Ananias. And it's not Ananias, the high priest, in uh, roughly 50 AD when Paul is uh, under arrest. It's Ananias of Damascus. Remember, Paul encounters Jesus, 
He's struck blind. He goes to Damascus. And God tells this person we don't know anything about, Ananias, hey, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and there is going to be a guy named Saul slash Paul. I'm not exactly sure when his name changes, but and he says, go minister to him. We can only imagine, because Paul is in Damascus to persecute and kill Christians, what Ananias' thought was, but Ananias, in this one thing that he has to do in his whole life, he goes and does it. And he ministers to Paul, the scales fall off his eyes, he baptizes him, and then Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Ananias, we don't know anything about him. But he was doing his job. He was ready to be used by God when God needed him. Now, you know that I won't do a sermon without mentioning some sort of history. Ananias, interestingly enough, uh, in, in uh, about the year 200, there was an early Christian theologian named Hippolytus who was supposedly a student of Irenaeus, who was supposedly a student of Polycarp, or I might have those backwards, uh, but then uh, Irenaeus was a, a student of John the Apostle. So we've got about four generations. Hippolytus tells us that Ananias was actually one of the 70 uh, disciples sent out by Jesus in, in Luke. So he may have been a, a faithful Christian all that time. Now that, that again, is you know in the year 200, so it's a little bit... Not, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say Ananias in the Bible, but just something for us to consider. Um, supposedly a martyr early on near the village of Hebron, and uh, you can visit his tomb if you're so inclined. You just have to go to the capital of Armenia to do so. In any event, our job is not only to be ready, but our job, of course, is to love. Very clearly, we are supposed to love. And for that, all we have to do is turn to the Scripture and look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now this is the greatest commandment. We get it, right? We've heard this over and over and over again. We know that this is God's command for us. The first part we get, God deserves us to love him and him only with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength. We get that. That's our job. Second part, I think I get it. Love my neighbor as myself. I kind of want the best for me. I can want the best for my neighbor. I get it. Like, can we do it? I may not agree with someone's life choices, but I can still want the best for them. This is kind of like when you're searching for a job and you see a job that's out there and you're like, I think I can do that job. And then you look at the job description and you think, eh, maybe I don't want to do that job. So we have the job. The greatest commandment is our job. Love God with all our heart, mind, strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. 
But there's a job description in the Bible. And I'll refer you to Luke chapter 6 and verse 27 and following for the job description. I could probably do that job. Luke chapter 6 verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It goes on. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do not do good to those, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Okay. Do I have to do that? Is that my job? I can want the best for you. I can love you in that sense, but do I really have to go serve at the homeless shelter and not post it to Instagram? Do I really have to give that $100 that's in my pocket to my waitress because the Holy Spirit moves me while I'm sitting down to my meal when I really want to use that $100 for something I want to use that $100 for? Really? Do I really have to turn the other cheek? Do I really have to sacrifice for somebody else? Even if I don't know them, even if I don't, it doesn't, they don't matter to me, even if I don't like them, even if they mistreat me, do I still have to forgive them? Do I still have to love them? Do I still have to serve them? Yep, that's your job. That's your job. Our job is to have faith. To have faith, to trust in God and wait. Because he is God and I am not. It's God's job to be God. It's our job to trust in him. Now look, being a Christian isn't for the faint of heart. We must remain faithful through, faithful through all of the, challenge that, the challenges that we are going to experience in life. And through the ages, it hasn't been easy to be a Christian. We have the stories of the martyrs. We have persecution that goes on even to this day in other areas of this world. Even closer to home, the decadence of our society can lead us away from God. The temptations that we all face, no matter what they are, can lead us away. Our wealth, 
our greediness, can all challenge our faith in God. Our job is to remain faithful. And anything that we come across can be a challenge to our faith. You may be going around along minding your own business and you're swiping through TikTok or whatever the kids call that thing, and all of a sudden there can be an anti-Christian meme that pops up. And it might sound reasonable. It might sound true. You might not have the answer to that challenge right off the top of your head. But your job is to be faithful and know that even if I don't know the answer right this moment and I don't have a quick retort to it or an answer for it, that there is an answer and that I can find it. Here's a hint. It's going to be in here. You might be reading the Bible and bump into a passage that you don't understand and doesn't make any sense at all to you. It may take a while for you to figure out what those passages mean or what God was trying to say in that particular passage. It's okay because the answer is in God. You might simply be a teenager struggling through your classes, bumping into the lessons that they're teaching that don't align exactly with the Bible. And your job is to remain faithful that the answer is still God no matter what anybody else tells you, the answer is still going to be God. You might be a 50-year-old person who has an atheist friend who is very winsome and clever and persuasive. Your job is to remain faithful. That's your job. Recently, you might have seen some things about Christmas. That Christmas isn't really a Christian holiday, that it's been borrowed from pagan sources and there's the tree isn't really anything to do with Christmas and we don't, you know, Jesus wasn't really born on December 25th, so this is all a made-up thing. Well, that's not actually true. You can, you can look at Jewish records of the families of the, uh, the Levite priests and you can figure out when Zechariah was supposed to be doing his service and then you can time out the pregnancies of Elizabeth and Mary, and guess what you come to? Late December, early January. So most of the time when you see those things, you know what those things are? People have no idea what they're talking about and just want to challenge the validity of Christ. Remain faithful. Even if we don't have the answer, God's job is to be true. Our job is to believe that he is. As if the job of job description of loving people wasn't hard enough, our job is to forgive. Of course, we have no better example than Jesus. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 5, in verse 20, we see a man that's been lowered through the roof. He's paralyzed. Before Jesus even does anything to heal his ailment, he turns to the man and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Then again in chapter 7, 
We see Jesus at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And this sinful woman comes in and interrupts the, the dinner. She's anointing him with oil and her tears are wetting his feet. She's drying his feet with her, her hair. And all the attendees, we can imagine, at this dinner are annoyed that this person is interfering with their time with this wonderful teacher. And we can imagine how she must have been feeling. Like us, probably ashamed, probably sorrowful. And then in verse 20, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. She doesn't need money. She doesn't need to be accepted by this group. She doesn't need to improve her social standing with these people. She needs her sins forgiven, and Jesus does that. And then, of course, over in John chapter 8, we have the woman caught in adultery and probably one of the most uh, amazing and beautiful passages we have in the Bible where he asks, hey, is anyone here to condemn you? They've all faded away. So Jesus says, neither do I. Okay, you might be saying, well, you, we don't forgive sins. That's not our job. God's job is to forgive sins. Our job is not to forgive sins. But we do have scriptural job description. Let's take a look at it. In Matthew 20, 18, we see Peter wanting to know what's the limit of my job, right? We all want to know how long do we have to do this job. If I'm 8 to 4, if my job is 8 to 4, 8 to 355 would be better. We just want to know what, how much do I have to do? How, mu how much production do I have to do? What's the minimum that I have to do? He wants to know what's the minimum amount of forgiveness that I have to do for these awful people that are always around me seven times? You know the answer. 70 times seven, which I wish Bert the mathematician was here because I don't know what that actually is. How many times? The point is as many times as necessary, the plus one is how many times we are supposed to give, forgive people. Just one more time. And then we have a little further description over in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Okay, I don't want to do that part. Right, I want to be angry and bitter at politicians who vote that it's okay to kill babies up to the point of birth and then celebrate the fact that they've enacted this law. I want to be bitter about that. I want to be bitter about politicians who send young men and women to war and bomb people who are doing nothing but minding their own business. I want to be angry about that. I don't want to have any compassion for drunk drivers who kill people and end up in prison. I don't want to have compassion for criminals and drug dealers. I don't want to do that. But that's not my job. My job is to forgive. God's job is to judge. He is God. I am not. He has God's job, I have my job. Our job is not to give up. 
I think we're all familiar with the story of Job. We see what happens to him. His job is to not give up and to remain faithful no matter what happens to him. I'm not sure any of us will encounter the same level of, of, uh, of whatever that is in Job. I'm not sure we're going to ever experience that same level. It may feel like it to us, but even on a smaller scale. If we don't lose everything and we don't let the devil take over our lives because God allowed it, we don't have our family members die on us, and we don't, have, like, we don't lose everything. We're still going to face challenges, and we still have to not give up. We see that in the story of Job. We see that with our apostles. The 12 apostles who all pay with their lives for their belief in Jesus, well, except for John, who lived to old age. But he got thrown in a vat of oil either way. They all paid. They all paid with their lives for their belief in Christ, and we ultimately will too. But our job is to not give up. Some of you know faithful Christians that have gone on from this life, and they've done exactly what the Apostle Paul said. They have fought the good fight. They have run the race. They have kept the faith. That's our job. In Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Our job is to not give up. No matter what our struggles are, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our challenges, do your job. Pray, love, Forgive, trust in God. Let God do his job, and you do your job. Joanna, is there a closing song? Okay. So then as I call the worship team back up, <laughs> uh, will you please pray with me uh, as we, we go to our closing song? Join me in prayer. Father God, we are here today because we want to know you and we want to love you. We know that you are all-powerful and that you work all things to your will. God, we know you have a plan for us and for your church. We trust in you and that you will do your job. Give us the strength and the courage and the understanding to our job, to do our jobs, to pray, to love, trust in you, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it is his name that we ask all of this. Amen.